0: More people than ever are questioning the value of higher education. We are here to explore why they're right, why they're wrong, and which institutions are rising to the challenge. I'm here with our analytics consultant, Dr. Jacob Barney, and I'm so excited for our conversation today. Dr. Barney, would you like to introduce our guest?
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, Today, we're here with Andy Chan, who's the Vice uh, President for Innovation and Career Development at Wake Forest. Andy, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what drives your passion for career development and student success?
2: Sure, Um, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here, Aaron and Jacob. Um, So my my background basically is um, I had a career in business for about uh, 15 years, and then I um, took a job to become the head of the Career Center at Stanford Graduate School of Business in 2001. And uh, and then in 2009, I was recruited to become the vice president for personal and career development at Wake Forest University. you know, when I think about this idea of about passion and student success, the uh, first thing that came to mind was uh, Fred, Frederick Beatner had a quote, the place where God calls you is a place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And so I became passionate about student success when I was working at Stanford Business School from 2001 to 2009. And the, the real catalyst that lit my fire was when I went on a retreat uh, to Whidbey Island, Washington, which was led by my good friend, Dave Evans. And Dave is the co-author of Designing Your Life, a very popular book that many people have read, and it's really changed their lives. While I was at this retreat, I heard about um, that the majority of 20-somethings really struggle with launching well after college, no matter what college they go to. And while at the retreat, I really felt a call that I needed to do something very significant and meaningful to transform the college to career experience and the journey for emerging adults, different than just being at uh, Stanford Graduate School of Business. And lo and behold, literally like a month later, um, the president and the leadership at Wake Forest basically recruited me because they had a similar vision and a similar need. And so when they recruited me, my passion was really lit up. And so now um, I really do feel that at Wake Forest, it is the place where my gladness, which is really trying to figure out how to solve this problem um, and this world's deep hunger are really being met.
1: So I feel really excited about that. And that's where my passion really comes from. Fantastic. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that community, you know, that that sort of college to career community that you've developed there at Wake Forest. And, um, you know, how, how is that community defining uh, some of these elements of student success for, for students after graduation?
2: Well, you know, the community at Wake Forest is, is a very tight-knit community. We like to talk about ourselves as being like a collegiate university where you have the intimate uh, sort of community of a college while the resource of a large university at the same time. We have about 5,400 undergraduate students, and then we have programs in uh, sort of liberal arts and STEM, uh, engineering, business, um, law, divinity, um, and medicine. And so, um, with respect to student success, I think we really use this phrase how do we educate the whole person where well, we're trying to help the whole person be successful? So, that includes your academic career, your career and professional career, your character, and your well being. And so I think that's one of the things that really resonated with me about Wake Forest is that this idea that we care about the whole person. We're trying to help students think about all these different dimensions of their life. And it's not just about being a great academic student. So I do think that is uh, the way that we define success. And we are always educating the student on all these different dimensions, trying to make sure that throughout their life, while they're at college, they're actually laying a foundation
1: that they might be able to implement through the rest of their lives. I'd love to ask you a follow-up there about this idea of well-being and holistic student. You know, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about COVID nineteen and how you know the pandemic has sort of shaped things. How how do you see that sort of need to support the whole student and that need to to support their well-being um, changed in the wake of of everything that's happened in the past eighteen months?
2: Yeah, that's a really really good question. It has been definitely a difficult time for everyone. You know, I think one of the things that um, We've had is an interesting sort of both opportunity and challenge. Is that because we're a smaller community, uh, we've been able to get all the students on campus uh, during 2020, sort of the 2021 um, academic year, and then this year also. So everyone has actually been around campus. Last year, everything was more online. This year, actually, everything is in person, except for people having to wear masks in small spaces, and it's worked out really nicely. But also the challenge, though, has been, as you know, when you're in that that age group, your social life is a big part of of how you find joy and how you um, just sort of are developing. And so that that's also really difficult to, to manage, but our students have done a great job. I think that, um, you know, one of the things that I think that is sort of always there, whether we were, you know, in COVID, post COVID, whatever, is that students in general, at least at our school, but I see this at all colleges, is that all students want to do really well. They're driven. They They actually have almost a sense of over perfectionism. They actually want to be great at whatever they do. And they they don't want to let themselves or their loved ones down. And so I do think that's one barrier to like holistic student success, because people get get really caught up in having to feel like, wow, if I don't get an A in everything, like I've failed. And so so we really try to help students understand that's just not a necessarily realistic expectation, but also not necessarily defining who you are or where you might go. Um, I think a second thing is that, you know, in this age group there's a lot of research done about this is that the student brain is still developing and so their ability to make a very sort of wise reason decisions sometimes are, are oftentimes um, questionable because of the fact they're just developing as young people and so having a heart for students and recognizing that they're trying to develop uh, and we as adults around them are trying to help them having a lot of both graciousness but also the sense that you know we're really trying to let them take ownership for their lives that's actually really important that uh, we as administrators, especially we can't we can't control students. They actually have to figure things out on their own. Um, and the third is that I think we have this reality, which I think we all become to understand more than ever, is that there are students from different um, communities and families where they may not have had the same advantages or resources as others. And you actually have to figure out how to uh, make sure that you're making the uh, playing field equitable and reasonable for everyone. And so that takes a lot of time and investment and a lot of relationship building more than anything. I think students, uh, if they know you, they like you and they trust you, but if you uh, if you don't take the time to spend to get to know them, it can be difficult to do.
0: So, so having a heart for students really leads to my next thought. Um, so at Stepping Blocks, we talk a lot about the disconnect between students and their career centers. And we've all heard stats um, that nearly four in, 10 stud- four in 10 college students have never visited their career center or used online career resources. Um, And one cause that we see at this disconnect is that universities aren't listening to their students. So how at Wake Forest are you tapping into the student voice to help drive engagement?
2: Yeah, um, those are very, uh, a little bit sobering stats, a little bit uh, depressing to hear uh, that the majority of students aren't using their career offices. And I do think that part of the challenge is, uh, you know, we use this phrase, how do you make uh, career readiness, mission critical. How do you make it part of the student experience so that the student experience when you first come in from from when you're introduced to the school orientation, the way the admissions portrays what the school provides, that the career readiness and career outcomes um, and resources that the the school provides are very visible and very important. Um, It does really help actually attract students and families to your school if you actually have proof that you are, are putting resources and effort behind it Uh, Part of it is the resources and part of it actually is really the the light, the the attention that you should shine on it to say this is really a part of the process. Um, Because also in the process, sometimes it's that what students need to have is a high impact experience of a research experience or they need an internship experience or some type of connect me to the marketplace experience. So we do that early at Wake from the very first days they come to school. We talk about it a lot as part of the admissions process. And then when they wait, they get to school, so one of the number one things we do is we make sure all the students know that they have to have a Handshake profile. And the reason why is that Handshake allows us to be able to gather enough data about the student and a way to uh, customize the information we provide to them. So if a student, for example, says, I'm really interested in something that might be more in the arts, they want to get messaging about the arts. And so what happens is the, most, the message they get is, oh, there's a bunch of accounting firms coming they're gonna immediately say, why should I come to your office? Because you're thinking that I wanna do accounting. And so I know it seems like such a simple thing, but the students really pay attention. They make really quick judgments because they don't have a lot of time to decide what they're gonna spend time on. So if you don't actually tailor your communications, just like the way uh, Facebook or Instagram tailors communications to them or Netflix, um, they're sort of shocked thinking that the student, this school doesn't obviously care about me given what my interests are. So we have to actually get that information we also know what the majority of students over time at our school have gone to. So we actually set up uh, career pathways newsletters where they get information to let them know if you're interested in these big career pathways, here's what here's what you should be doing. And here's the kind of organizations you're hiring. Here's alumni you can talk to. So all of a sudden, students start to realize, wow, you are really for me. Um, so I do think that's a big part of the process. We also, through this handshake system, are able to gather information about which students are engaged and which ones are not. So for the students who are less engaged, we actually do other types of interventions and come up with new programming to really get to those students in new ways, oftentimes partnering with other students or fac- student leaders or faculty members or staff members who know those students really well. So that is probably one of the biggest things that uh, you know a lot of schools have read about that uh, my friends, Christine Cruz of and Farouk Day wrote about this idea of career communities, that the career office has to be a bit more of a a partner and educator to those communities about how those communities can get engaged as opposed to asking everyone to come to the career office. So the more that the career office reaches out into the community and develops relationships, the more the students sort of see and are validated by others that the career process is legit and important as opposed to uh, people being in the offices waiting for people to show up. And I, I do think that's a little, that's a big part of the way that the, I think the role of how career office has to change is it has to be more we are, a, we are a in the community type office, not a we sit in our office waiting for the community to come to us.
0: I couldn't agree more. Um, you mentioned outcomes. Dr. Bonnie lives and breathes career outcomes. So um, did you wanna to touch on that, Dr. Bonnie? Do you have any questions specifically regarding that?
1: Yeah, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on how you all are leveraging data uh, and, and or disseminating, collecting data um, and perhaps internally, or if you have recommendations from, from other uh, colleagues across the country.
2: Sure, sure. So this is this is a really uh, big thing for us. Um, some of you may have read our recent paper, uh, Metrics and Outcomes that Matter. So Christian Cruz Vergara, uh, the head of education at Handshake and I wrote this paper. And the reason why we wrote it is that we were really writing it to the leaders of higher education institutions, not just the career services leader. And what we were trying to do is say, if you, as the leader of the institution, ask your career team, as well as your academic leadership team, and probably thirdly include your advancement fundraising leadership team, and you said, in a room, let's figure out what metrics we want to gather together. That actually we can figure out the strategies and the resources, but you all can do this. Do not make it just on the career office leader do it on their own. This is what really matters. So, so we actually end up having. Uh, sort of four different major buckets there's actually uh, maybe a couple different processes one is while the student is in school the second is sort of the at graduation numbers and then there's alumni numbers and they they fall into these uh maybe four different sort of buckets one is student engagement what are they actually doing the second is student career readiness what are they actually learning when it comes to being career ready the third is um, their actual outcome internship research what are they doing while they're in school as well as an outcome later, and then finally, um, there's social capital. What are the ways that you are actually doing things to help them build a network uh, with the assistance of the school, not just not just because you just sent them to LinkedIn and figure it out themselves? And so, if if the school is thinking about those different buckets where those three teams—academic, career, and uh, advancement/slash alumni—work together, it could be very, very powerful. So that's that's essentially how we think about things at Wake Forest. Um, And so what we've done is is we can through, as I mentioned Handshake earlier, we can actually take that data and merge it with the registrar data, um, uh, the demographics of every student into Microsoft Power BI and have data dashboards basically on every student or every student group. So we can see what's going on with different populations with respect to engagement and outcomes. Um, The other thing that we're doing is we've developed a career readiness model. We call it the Ready 7 model. You can find it on our website. And we actually have surveys that we give to the students where we're asking them to tell us about their career readiness, confidence level. And then at the same time, our coaches or our teachers who are with those students are actually measuring the same thing. So we're actually able to see uh, what, how do the students self perce- have their self-perception of their confidence versus what we actually think is their actual level. And then we can actually start to discern a little bit more about that. We're in the early stages of that process, but we actually think that at the end of the day is the holy grail. If you can actually understand if a student is really career ready, they'll be able to be employable for the rest of their lives. I mean, when we talk about this idea of uh, teaching a student to fish instead of giving them a fish, that's actually what we're really trying to do when it comes to career readiness. Um, and it's a little, what, a career readiness at Wake Forest is a little bit different than the career readiness, for example, that or AAC, and you have. Those are really great models, but those are actually more student from their whole educational process at, at school. What are they learning that give them all the competencies to be prepared for the workforce? We actually think that students' uh, career readiness competencies related to just getting a job or an internship need to be very specific because I don't think students even know what they really need to get a job. I mean, honestly, the only other time they've gotten something that's like a job is fill out an application for college, submit it, get a yes or a no, and we're, they're done. And so then they think that's what you do for getting a job. And so they're really, they're really um, honestly upset the fact that they have to work so hard to get a job because they think it should be a lot easier, but the reality is the world's actually making it even harder for them to get a job. So we actually have to teach them those things in a very, very sort of legitimate, organized way. So we were really, really big on the idea of having career education. Um, and actually we have uh, we have one and a half half semester credit-based courses where students, when they do the work in a class, their career, career readiness sort of capability is probably like five times higher than a student who doesn't do it in an academic setting.
0: And I believe I've heard you talk about um, understanding the student in a different way, um, but in the same vein. So what what they learn, what they earn, and what they yearn. Did I get that uh, right?
2: Yes, that's great. <laughs> yes. Um,
0: so also something outside of the student voice and student engagement, something else um, that... I've heard you talk about from the career center perspective that I haven't heard a lot of other career centers talk about, and that's the fundraising angle. So, can you talk about why that matters?
2: Sure. Um, you know, I, I think that the the thing that I, I I think I coming from the business world, working in the startup world, um, I I think that you just have to have an abundance mindset. You actually have to believe there's more if your vision's big enough, there are more resources out there than you might imagine. If, you actually, if you're actually, actually around people who have uh, resources, they'll oftentimes say, the issue is not, do we have enough money? The issue is, do we have enough good people to actually execute well on the great ideas? So it's not even the number of ideas. It's actually, people sort of know there are ideas everywhere. Can you execute well? But the people have to be the thing. And oftentimes, if you, if you paint a big enough vision, people want to come around that. So one of the things that I found in my time in higher ed is that um, a lot of times, people, there's a lot of needs around the university. So someone at the leadership level has to decide this is important enough that if we can get people to fund it, um, we want to do that. Because I actually think there are a lot of people, I mean, uh, you you know, I talked a little bit about the, the whole thing when I did the career services must die TEDx talk. It really hit a chord in a lot of people because the very beginning of the talk, what I say is that you can hear all these alumni out there rumbling about the fact that why didn't my school help me better to prepare for the workforce like what was that all about like we know fundamentally that as you just said with the stat earlier more than half of the people who went to college never went to their career office so they don't even think that the school cared about what they did after college so if that's really the case there's a lot of people out there who actually want to fix that back to what i started at the very beginning like where's this passion come from it's like there is a deep need that needs to be solved there are people with money who want to solve it if the school wants to solve it. So I think that's one piece of it. And the second piece is that these people in the world who actually oftentimes have resources, they're running organizations with a lot of people, or they actually are invested in organizations, with a lot of people who want to hire more people so they can help the students at your school get jobs, internships, and be exposed to what's possible for them. So that's another thing that I, I really emphasize why we running a career office. One of the most important roles that people should be looking for is someone who's actually doing external relations, employer relations, alumni relations, because what students need to see is that there are people who are like them, who went to their school, who are doing great things, and who want to hire them. Because if students don't ever see that, they actually are in their heads doubting that because of, I don't see any employers here. No one really wants to hire us. They always want to hire students from better schools than us. Like Everyone always thinks there's some better school out there than the school they're going to, and if they don't see evidence of the fact, it can really um, be honestly sort of demoralizing for students. Like, can I really get a job? And so part of what we have to do is prove to students that, yes, because our alumni have gotten done great things and they actually want to hire you. So I think that's why the Advancement Office should be involved in this process, too.
0: So that really leads into the next, um, the next part of the conversation, which is the employer side. Um, so last year at the global silicon valley summit you talked about career readiness being two different definitions so it means one thing to higher ed academics and something different to employers can you explain why this is a critical gap that we have to bridge and maybe talk about it in terms of skills
2: okay great you've really done your homework wow you've got plenty of talks (laughs) i've done before and you're calling me on it so I appreciate that very much. Um, what what I would say here is this is interesting. I actually think there will always be some gap between what employers want and what maybe schools perceive, only because uh, they work in two different worlds. And in general, employers I think are very demanding. They they just want um, they want the students to be really really ready and prepared for their specific job. So so what I I think about here is that um, the the feedback we get from employers first and foremost is uh, students as well as they can do homework and research in the classroom they need to be able to apply those same kinds of skills when they're looking at applying for jobs and what happens is oftentimes students don't do the full amount of research that they should to know actually what exactly am i applying for what is this company about so a lot of times you know when companies say why do you want to work at our company the students will make up some answer that isn't really right on and so the company is like what's that about like you came to to do an interview and i do think There is this gap that happens from that standpoint. I think the second point is that there's a translation of the skills you might learn in the classroom that oftentimes aren't or on college campuses that aren't translated well when they actually do their resumes and interviews um, um, live. And so that is actually another reason why um, this idea that being able to have students all go through an educational process to understand how do you take what has been historically what was my responsibility on a job. And turn it into what was my accomplishment in the job? What was it the impact that I made in the job? And how do I talk about that in a quantifiable way? Most students, when we show them the difference, like if you're an RA, a resident advisor, what you did where you just ran events and you you know, you know, mentored people, but you actually over here had responsibility for a certain number of people with a certain amount of budget. And you, you manage the risk out of you know, making sure bad things didn't happen in, in that dorm that's a totally different way of talking about the work that you did. And so students need to have some way to have the time to translate and practice. Can I say those things? Is that really okay? And I do think that, you know, this, the small five to 10% who actually sort of figure that out, oftentimes those are people who they grew up in homes where their families talked about business all the time. So they actually, actually know how to do that. Everyone else has no idea. So I do think that is, that is probably the biggest thing. I will say that one other thing that, that is getting more clear is that uh, we have, we have a big, process where we try to help students understand. uh, Your goal is actually to figure out how to look at a lot of options in front of you and to explore what the possibilities are before you narrow down to this is the one thing. In fact, almost don't narrow down to the one thing. That's a lot about the principles within designing your life is what are all the possibilities and go explore those things and talk to people who do those things so you actually know what you're really getting yourself into. I do think that that's another part of the process that is can be challenging is if you don't if you don't make this something you sort of do over your four years over and over again. But you try to just trying to get to one thing, because um, as you know, you're growing. I mentioned earlier, students are growing a lot, they're changing a lot, they're learning a lot. So, so we need to try to figure out how to keep that sort of spigot open. the The, the other thing about it is that once you then get to I know I want this type of role. So I think in the world today, there's some basic skills that a lot of people are looking for beyond being a great communicator. Um, the other one is being a very, very good writer. I actually think people need to be very good in their written, written skills. That actually is a sort of a lost art, honestly, um, even for college students. Um, another thing is that uh, Excel skills are actually really almost expected baseline. And a lot of schools don't really teach students Excel skills. There are a lot of students who are intimidated by actually how to use Excel, which should not be the case. Um, and I think there's a lot around sort of just data literacy. And um, tech literacy, so it doesn't mean you have to be a programmer, but you can't be afraid to talk about what is what can technology do, and and what are what are sort of the aspects of that. So I do think there's a, a new world emerging where students can actually get like short um, short course certificates of some kind that will help them get these li- get this literacy. The challenge will be how do you get that to students if again it's not credit based. So again, will it always end up being then the ten percent who are really driven? do all that stuff and everyone else doesn't really do it. So again, it continues to keep that divide between them. I do think that schools and other vendors are trying to figure out how do we actually close that divide? The big benefit, though, is that I do think after college, there's so many different options on how people can keep learning at low cost ways that are not going back to two years out of school, graduate program, get a big degree. But it could be literally a two month certificate program that move you along the pathway that I think is very hopeful for the future of
1: um, sort of lifelong learning. professional development for adults. Thank you. I wanted to ask just sort of in in summary, uh, you touched on a lot of of components in there that, you know, are some of the barriers to student success and and career success. Is there anything else that you can think of that sort of stands in the way of of that progress? And perhaps, you know, what is Wake Forest doing to to respond to that and move the needle?
2: So, you know, so one of the things that for us is, you know, I've I really talked about if you can find a way to make it academic or near academic, that really can help. And so we have these career courses that we do at Wake Forest, but we can't get them to every student um, in a class every single year just because we we have in-person classes, we keep this class sizes small. And so there are a lot of there's a lot more demand than there is actually supply classes. One of the things that we did recently is we engaged with Kaplan uh, University Partners to create a product called Kaplan Career Core, which takes the content from our courses and makes them into asynchronous modules. And as a result, we're we have the ability now to offer the career course content to all of our students that we didn't weren't able to do before. And that too will help us again scale. Also for us, we were able to do it in partnership with them, where um, it was one where we didn't we didn't have the expertise to do it on our own. So actually partnering with some was actually a really smart thing for us. The other thing I mentioned to you earlier is that part of the reason why I even felt a call to come to Wake Forest, not only is it a beautiful place, beautiful school, beautiful people, love it, but is that the president said, Andy, I really feel like we can do something to help become a model in higher ed to help make it better. This is one of those ways that we can share the IP that we've created in this career course with our very talented professor Heidi Robinson and share it to a lot of other people. So we have schools like University of Arizona, University of Montana. Adelphi, Florida International, Point Loma, that are all starting to implement the this product. So what people are able to do is use our career course modules as asynchronous for all their students. Many of these schools are uh, much bigger than Wake Forest, you know, 34,000 students. And then on top of it, that Kaplan has the ability to have um, remote career advisors that that are really specialized in, in very highly popular, uh, high demand areas. So if the schools don't have experts in those areas, the students can actually meet with these career advisors to get more information on how to maybe get jobs in areas that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise. So that that for me is really, uh, I'm excited because you know the motto at Wake Forest is pro-humanitate, like how do we honestly help and serve humanity? And I feel like this is one of our ways to actually help the world of higher ed and, and students who are very different from students at Wake Forest to have access to our knowledge and our expertise, but hopefully help them become more career ready. So so that is one thing that I think about that, a barrier we, we're overcoming right, right now, for sure. Thank
0: I you. love the idea of not just breaking down the walls and the silos inside the institution, but on a national level. And I think that's really the goal here is creating that larger community, not just at your own institution. Yeah. Um, so that being said, what other sort of collaborations or resources Um, Do you use at Wake Forest or, you know, is there anyone that you look to as a mentor in terms of student success?
2: Um, You know, it's very fun. We were just talking on the call. I I can't think of anyone per se necessarily uh, in the mentor realm, but I will say in terms of really uh, forward-thinking people, I I do think of, um, you know, the team at Handshake led by Garrett Lord and and my friend Christine Vergara. like she's really pushing the envelope. Um, I have uh, some friends at strata who are doing some amazing research that we're trying to figure out how to measure alumni outcomes in a new kind of way um i know that uh the uh, career collective with uh, jeremy Paldoni and in uh, colorado is also doing that in terms of measuring alumni outcomes so i really like that i, I really do uh, love the work of fruit day at johns hopkins and how he's really um you know i use that phrase career services must die and he jokes he goes andy i really actually did make career services die i'm doing it totally differently And I really respect his innovativeness. Um, And I've one, you know, other friend is uh, Brandon Grimmett at Loyola Marymount. Like he's just very committed to how do we make uh, diversity, equity, inclusion really genuine at a university. And he's really pushing that. And so there are a lot of people in our space who are all doing very innovative and interesting things. Um, And I really am just excited about what's happening. Um, I really love actually, you know, you and I were talking about the fact that. You know, your product is one that's designed to really use data to help students make better decisions. And everyone knows when you start talking about data in higher ed that Georgia State is like the leader in that area. And so I I really like to observe and watch um, how they do what they do. What's very challenging with every school is every school has a certain set of like resources and philosophy about how they've done things, and so oftentimes they can't actually totally shift that to something new. But we can all learn from each other, and I do think that's uh that's what's fun. I again about this um. This is a new Kaplan career core product the, the new schools who are in there all schools that I, I didn't know that all that well, but we're getting to know each other well and seeing new innovative ways that they're trying to implement uh, to get to career readiness for all students and so um, it's fun to be able to do it in collaboration with others.
1: Andy I'd love to hear if you've got any wins or, or success stories uh, that you'd like to share about all the exciting things happening at Wake Forest.
2: Thanks Jacob. Yeah, we are very excited by what we've been able to do at Wake Forest over these years um, over the last eight years consecutively. Um, over 95% of our students, whether it be the college or the business school are employed or are in graduate school within six months of graduation so having that high of number on a consistent level has been really great, especially during these last couple of years during COVID. We really found out how to pivot effectively and how to actually engage even more students in an online environment than we did in person. Um, it'll be very interesting in the future as more and more um, recruiting organizations want to do more things online and virtually. How do we manage that and do that well, because we happen to be a very uh, sort of in-person type campus. And so it's really interesting trying to figure out how to keep students engaged when um, some like it online and others don't. Uh, the second thing is that in terms of just student engagement with our programs, events and coaching, like we, every year when we measure it over their four years, like over 90% of the students actually utilize our programs resources and coaching and so again when the national average is below 40 we're very proud of the fact that we're able to get so many students engaged with our office and then from the alumni standpoint um, we have a very robust alumni personal and career development center it's very innovative it's much more than just help people get jobs It, it definitely does that but it's really thinking more about how do you develop a life especially if you're a young alum in your early 20s trying to figure out you know, do I want to live here? Do I like this job? Is what's happening to me normal? Like it, like going to work today is so much different than being at school now more than ever, especially in this online environment. So in this last year, you know, we have like 75,000 alumni, like 20,000 of them engaged in our programming courses and resources that we have to support their ongoing professional development after attending Wake Forest. So we're really happy about that. In fact, that group just won um, an award from the uh colleges and employers association for um, the south and i I just think that we're doing a lot of really interesting things thinking about how do we develop a sort of lifelong career readiness model and framework we actually have some programs for students before they come to college high school programs we have stuff while you're at college at wake forest and we're obviously impacting others through kaplan career core and then um finally we're trying to think about when you're done with college and you're an adult how do you continue to build a very successful life holistically, but also especially in the professional realm. Um, so we're having a lot of fun at Wake Forest and I'm, I'm really uh, very um, pleased
1: and excited to be uh, working in a place with such a great team of people. And yeah, that's really great. We actually did a focus group with some students uh, this summer and heard that they were really appreciative of their career centers transitioning to more online support. And, and those were not Wake Forest students that we did that focus group with, but it, it, it's, it's great to hear that you're focused on, on that and, and reaching students in that way, while also being mindful of the students who do prefer the in-person uh, resources. So great to hear that, uh, that you're doing that work already. Great, thanks.
0: Okay, in closing, just final remarks, your outlook for 2022 when it comes to progress in career services in higher ed.
2: Um, I think we're at a really uh, great um, moment at the in terms of inflection. I think that it is a time where many places are really looking to figure out uh, how to do things differently. And I think as long as the leadership, the president and the provost uh, bring the head of career services into the room and say, with your academic and your advancement alumni leadership, what can we do together to actually change change our model to actually have a better uh, accountability with respect to metrics and outcomes. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of new things happen over the next five years. What I oftentimes find is that people have to recognize that um, that first year oftentimes is let's get clear on what our goals and what we're trying to do are, and let's start trying. knowing that we will make mistakes and we won't have immediate results, but we're trying some new things. In year two, we learn from year one and we get a little bit better. And then by year three, we're like, all right, we have a few data points and we actually have starting to really figure out what works. Um, so I do think having a few years of time to uh, unfold something new is important. I think, like I said earlier, metrics and outcomes are really important. What are we really shooting for? Uh, let's let's hold off on coming up with all the solutions and just you know having the solution chase the problem, but really being clear about the problem and the goal. Um, and I also think that this idea of looking at outside partners who actually have really novel solutions and oftentimes have a lot of expertise figuring out how to partner with them. Being very careful though, that you can't have too many of them. I do think that that's one thing is that too many partners results in too much confusion among the staff and even more confusion among your constituencies. And so you can't you can't do too many things at, at one time. So um, again, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I actually think we're starting to head in a new direction. I do think that um, it's an exciting time to be in higher ed and in career services.